Jacob Evan. Hey, Alan. How you doing? Good. Well, welcome to the Kogan Conversation. Obviously, I want to recognize you as our social media guy. You've been helping us push some stuff out on the, on uh, Instagram, Facebook, all the socials, and, and working on all that stuff. Um, so I appreciate it. Uh, this is your first podcast with us. I thought this was a great uh, time to have you on. So how you doing? What you drinking? And uh, are you surviving COVID-19? <laughs> uh, I'm doing well. I- I'm drinking something lovely, and I have survived COVID-19. I mean, I guess... The future is still unwritten. We don't know if that's going to change or not. But um, right now, I am drinking mellow. Gosh, I scoop this up. Mellow corn. Mellow corn. Yeah. Mellow corn is. Uh, it was actually featured on our last podcast with with Sawyer. It it it's like fourteen or fifteen dollars. It's very cheap. It's a bonded whiskey. Uh, actually, technically a bourbon, but it's it's eighty one percent corn uh, in the mash bill, and it is really good for what it is i mean yeah yeah i mean you, you'd be surprised it's it's got a high alcohol content it's 50 percent alcohol but it's it's pretty smooth yeah i wasn't i was anticipating more bite and i think it was actually you that mentioned to go try this at some point uh and you know i, I usually drink like glenn lovett mccallan nothing super expensive but this is like just really good i, I can buy like three or four of these yeah <laughs> that's the how they get you yeah, it's a very, very, very sweet um, whiskey for, for what it is. I'm, I've been impressed. Um, I'm actually drinking one of my other uh, cheap favorites. That's uh, again, whiskey is not deter like the quality of the whiskey is not determined by the price at all. Uh, scotch, maybe depending on the age. Obviously, the more eight, the more time that goes by, the more expensive it's going to be because it's more of an investment for the distillery. But with bourbon. Uh, you don't want a, 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 a really aged bourbon because sometimes you get too much of that oaky wood uh, flavor into it. Um, but a lot of the a lot of the whiskeys out there and the bourbons out there have a high corn or rye mash bill, which means they can make it pretty cheap. Corn and rye are pretty easy to come by. Uh, so Old Granddad, the original one, not the bonded, it's 40% alcohol, 80 proof, uh, distilled by Jim Beam. It is one of my favorite just basic whiskeys it, it, it's a bourbon but it's uh it's really good like i mean you, you can't go wrong with a bang with your buck i prefer the bonded version which is uh it's a hundred proof um it's a little i think it's like a couple dollars or five dollars more than the original which i have right now but uh it's a sweet caramelly kind of uh more of a syrup on the on the on the tongue so it's more a little more thick um it smells like pecans and some like sweet walnuts and nuts it's very interesting i i love this and it's it's a great bourbon so old granddad and i think old granddad and mellow corn go together so well because they're they're cheap but they're quality whiskeys so they cheers are. my friend cheers thanks for having me on you bet so uh <laughs> i almost want to be so what brings you here to the tonight show no uh, um <laughs> I know, I know. You and I have gotten into it in the past about different things as as far as the environment and things that you're very passionate about. I'm passionate about it too, but I think you've you've done a little bit more personal research into what all exists in the in the, in the climate change debate and global warming debate and environmental protections and all this stuff. So I guess let's start with you just telling me. You know, it's 2020. It's June 2020. Uh, well, we're recording this in June 2020. Uh, this will probably be released in July, uh, so it's July 2020. Uh, what do you? What's the landscape? Do you see? Do you see that climate change is being taken seriously? Do you think? Well, you know, what What are some steps we have to take yet 
with the current technology we have? What are the best ways? I know it's a large question, but it's I think it's a good jumping off point. No, I think that is a good way to start off. Um, where we are right now in addressing the issue is so far behind from where we should be. Uh, I, I mean, the thing, the thing with you know carbon emissions and methane and, and those kind of greenhouse gases is that they take, I think, like 20 to 30 years to really have a full impact on the climate. So we're only experiencing things we've done like 20 years ago right now. And it's not like 20 years ago, we decided collectively that we were like, you know, what? we need to cut it off. We need to, we need to go green. We need to really lower those emissions. Um, so in the foreseeable future, we don't have a massive warming spike. Uh, we didn't do that. <laughs> but, you know, we've been talking about doing this since like the 1970s. It's not like climate change was something that we didn't know about. Um, and when I say that, you know, I, I mean man-made climate change, the whole, you know, faux debate about like, well, the world's always been warming. It's like, yeah, no shit, it's always been warming. It's, there is global signatures, but you can't say that, you know, human impact is neglectable in this. I mean, we, Milwaukee, for instance, you know, used to be all swampland and now it's the biggest metropolitan area in the state of Wisconsin. You know, we didn't just, didn't just happen. We had, it's not like we didn't have any impact on that. So I think sometimes we underestimate, or we choose to underestimate or discredit how much impact we actually have in our environment and our surroundings. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because a lot of people who are on either Capitol Hill or uh, people who, who just follow memes or certain Facebook pages or, or, or Instagram stories that kind of, you know, embolden their echo chamber that, you know, either climate change is a, a liberal thing or uh, climate, de climate change denial is a, is a conservative thing. It's a weird thing to be partisan about when it's, to both of us, it's so clear that the science is so clear that there is an impact that we are having on the environment. I think that the larger question, and maybe you can you can help me shed some light on this, if, if we are having an impact and over the course of however many years, hundreds of years, maybe since the Industrial Revolution, since mm -hmm. we've been pumping CO2 emissions into the air, is, is it realistically reversible in a way that is possible? Or do you think that our man-made issues on this planet along with the the planetary uh just cycle that happens with the, the aging of earth do you think we're just at a point where you know we can do certain things to mitigate and also adapt but can we really go back to like the olden days of smogless la like what what's obviously i mean COVID 19 showed us too like you can we can go back to smogless la because la yeah. was like super clean air since everyone was like had been locked down from covid but that might be a bad example but you know what i'm saying i'm trying to try to extrapolate the yeah, two things I think, I think they said like global and i read this on usa today i think global emissions dropped between like eight to twelve percent which yeah. is crazy and i mean you see you're right you saw like photos of beijing with like clear skies that's unheard of la smogless i mean that, that's cool it's sad it came about during a global pandemic um <laughs> I mean, that's obviously problematic, but, you know, in those same times, you know, we saw, we saw upticks in renewable energy being used to power things. That's awesome. Uh, but to answer your question, I don't, there's no reversing this, you know, uh, I think a lot of, and this is not to discredit the work that's being done to try to change things. I think that I don't want it to come across that way, but from everything I've read, it doesn't seem like you can really reverse the impact you put into the, the air. You know, the, the carbon emissions, the methane, the, the carbon, methane's more potent than CO2, like four times more potent uh, as a greenhouse gas than CO2. 
mm -hmm. uh, and the carbon dioxide, uh, the best you can hope is mitigate. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I follow a lot of sites, they say, you know, we can stop climate change. You really can't. Like, I mean, you can <laughs> stop putting more crap into the atmosphere, but we don't have a way to really, on a mass production scale, to take that stuff out. There is uh, decarbonization efforts. Um, you can look that up online. Um, that actually sucks the CO2 out, but it's not really affordable. And I hate to say that like that's like one of the driving factors of not doing this on a large scale, but it's not really affordable. It's cost a ton of money. Now, does the does the spending that money outweigh the potential hazardous costs we're going to face in the future? I would argue yes, but I mean, I'm not a policymaker. I don't think that's going to happen. Well, speaking of spending money, uh, the, I guess the current the current issue right now, or the current contention con contention contention uh, place is the Green New Deal. Uh, freshman Congresswoman uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, uh, AOC, uh, henceforth because it's easier to say. Um, uh, no, no, it, it, for. For all the criticisms against her, I, I do give her credit for being ambitious and having, you know, kind of a spirit, a, a spunky attitude and in getting into Congress, which is I know Congress can be such a, a daunting, uh, soul sucking place. And I give her credit for going in there and, and speaking her mind and her heart. I have no doubt that she has good intentions in trying to help not only the Bronx where she's from, but also the night the nation and the world. And that's great. However, uh, there is a little bit of naivete when it comes into trying to propose these massive policies that don't really take into consideration the realistic economic impact and how that can displace many people now in the short term in trying to get to a goal of what they consider to be the next 12 years that we have left as a human race. Like That, that to me is a crazy outlandish uh, or, uh, forecast. I don't think... We have 12 years left. I think we're going to survive well past that. Maybe things change and maybe, you know, things get worse. I don't know. I, I mean, I maybe maybe the next 10 years, John Cusack will be saving us from 2012, like in the movie. But uh, it's... Save us, John Cusack, your only hope. You wouldn't expect me <laughs> to shout out on this, but you got it. Well, yeah, now we, we just invoked John Cusack. No, I, I, I just think that the Green New Deal, as well-intentioned as it may be, it has a lot of... A lot of things, like I want to call it pork, a lot of things that are just, just thrown in there because I think the writers of the Green New Deal feel that government has a place in dictating how we individually go about our lives because the environment is at risk. And what would you say are some aspects of pork in that bill? In the Green New Deal? Yeah, in the Green New Deal. Well, the Green New Deal essentially calls for there to be like almost zero air travel as it stands today because jet fuel. Um, it, I mean, it also calls for, uh, which I, I understand the, the point of it, and maybe it's more symbolic than it is an actual policy ask, but uh, really reducing the methane gases from factory farming and, and all the, the cows and whatnot, like that's, that's a big problem too, the carbon footprint on that, which I recognize. I'm against factory farming. I think we could, we overconsume things to begin with. So it's not just that, that there's a bigger problem there with our culture. Uh, but you can't legislate that away. That's not just something you can just pass because now you're going to be affecting the economics of the food industry, uh, of all this thing. And people might argue that we need to throw a wrench into it and, and, you know, you know, suck it up. Oh, well, but also calls for, you know, zero carbon emissions by a certain date. It, it wants to nix all 
all oil drilling across the the nation, offshore drilling, everything. And I'm not saying I'm for or against. I'm just naming the things that are in the bill, um, or that the bill, the 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 green new deal. It's not a bill. It's like a, yeah. a proposal. Proposal. Um, which I, again, I think that's also a waste of time. It's just like like focus on one thing and and try to flesh it out as a policy rather than just having this symbolic whatever that you know is going to get contention. Um. It, uh, all of West Virginia would be out of work because of coal mining. I mean, Hillary Clinton lost West Virginia. I mean, she lost West Virginia for a lot of reasons, but I, all of the coal miners that she said that you're basically just going to be out of a job. You know, they're going to, we're going to outdate coal mining and there's no such thing as clean coal. Well, there's a such thing as cleaner coal. It's definitely still not clean, but it's, we, we, we do it better than we did 50 years ago. You know, that's not debatable. I'm not saying we should continue to do it, but how do we go about that? How, is it the government's job or, or the Green New Deal's job to come in and tell people, tell consumers how to do this? When, in my experience, the free market, as far as like Tesla, allowing Elon Musk to develop all this technology and to, to create a very cool, sexy, amazing car that goes 400 miles on, on one charge and self-drives itself, have all these cool features. Like that's the free market. The government didn't give uh, Tesla a bunch of money to begin with. They they had this innovative idea from from Elon Musk, and they're they're solving the problem. Now, how do we transition to making those cars more affordable? Is it the government's job to come in and tax uh, like crazy carbon or gas? And if if gas was seven dollars a gallon, then people would be forced to buy Tesla because it's cheaper. So, you know, what I don't I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm losing I'm losing it where I, I the, the Congress and, and these these Democratic representatives and senators think that they can just like legislate this away. I think there's more to it. I'm not against the sentiment, but I'm, I'm, I'm against the, the process in which they think that it can get done. Sure. And that's where and I, I'm really excited for this conversation because I know you and I don't see eye to eye this at all. It's <laughs> awesome. Uh, going back to the original uh, part that we started this conversation on, uh, where you mentioned like, you know, 12 years until humanity goes away. And you know, and you say, and I would probably agree with that, that humanity is gonna randomly die in 12 years. You know, this isn't Guy McPherson's Nightmare Wet Dream, where huh. humanity vanishes at, if you don't know who that is, don't look him up, he's crazy. Uh, in 2026, uh, you know, it's not gonna be the case. But if we live, if we structure a policy on, hey, we're not going to die at this time so we cannot change anything, I think that's total bullshit because it doesn't matter. Okay, we may not die in 12 years, but if our quality of life suffers to the point where it doesn't really, life doesn't mean anything, like, I mean, why, why are we doing it, period? Uh, no, that's I think, fair. I think there is a role in government to play um, to facilitate these things. If, if anything, allowing you know pushing companies to invest in more of these technologies or at the very least taking away subsidies that uh from other entities that prohibit that new economic growth and i'll get into that in a second um i mean part of the, the auto industry is my thing I, I love cars i work in the car industry um on the sales side not obviously an engineer but you know when the 2008 economic collapse happened you know general motors filed for bankruptcy they got a loan the U.S. government, and that, and part of that was loan was to fulfill, you know, a cleaner investment in cars, you know, create better vehicles quality, but also really to push the envelope of what can be done, um, in, in terms of alternative power trains, alternative fuel. And Tesla got a loan too; they were subsidized for a while as well, but they all paid back those subsidies. Hmm. That's like when General Motors. Side note: When General Motors like 
gets shitted on by like being government motors. Like that's not true. It's a loan they paid off. You and I paid off a loan at some point too. We're not owned by Chase Bank or, you know, or my credit union. I'm not credit union Jake. Like that doesn't make, that's a, that's a fallacy argument. Uh, but enable to push those things forward. Because if we just go solely on the, if it was 1970 and we allow the free market to really function as it was, where the best comp, you know, the best product, the best clean energy aspect wins. I'm saying sure, but I think we're running out of time. I mean, we are out of time. It's not think I know. We were running out of time to be able to make that change. So by default though, I may not like it. And I know you definitely don't like it. There needs to be government action to do that. The Green New Deal is ambitious, but it's not like it was, it, it, it's not just pull out of thin air. I mean, maybe if airfare travel is not gonna go away instantaneously. And I would argue that's gonna be really hard to do. Maybe now in a COVID-19 world, we can really cut down on that since we all can do our meetings uh, over <laughs> over Zoom. Uh, you know, we don't need to travel to Houston to be able to talk to a guy for 15 minutes and head back to uh, Fairfax. But, um, you know, there is a place in government to really push that, you know, towards that. Because the point of government is not just to exist and take your money, right? Like the point of government is to ensure the life, liberty, and prosperity of its people. At least that's what the U.S. government claims to do. Um, and if there are laws, if laws are put in place that maybe make things a little bit difficult in the short run, but in the end, create a sphere where people can better their lives. I think that's justified. Um, going back and then continue with my thought, you know, if we can't achieve that, if, if let's say all this fails, you know, James and Hoff of Oklahoma decides that everything's still a massive hoax and all oh, this bullshit, at least the U.S. government can do is put things in the place where if you're not going to subsidize or increase investment in alternative energies, get get the money out of things that are naturally appearing to that. I mean, why are we subsidizing as a government fossil fuels today? I mean, it's like $12 billion a year that goes into fossil fuels. Why? They are self-sufficient. It's like 99.9% well, .9 of people who drive cars are going to drive a gas car. They are buying the one source they have. Why are we subsidizing that? That makes no sense. Well, I was gonna, I was going to say that I mean, I, first of all, I'm against subsidies to begin with. I, I don't think that I don't think we should be subsidizing anything, period. I mean, I know a lot of people think and I used to think this, but after, you know, I've done my research and understanding how economics works. I used to think that people we maybe the government could subsidize places like Tesla because, you know, that would encourage manufacturing and whatnot. But the, the problem with that, though, is that's all it's all taxpayer dollars. And we already know the government doesn't spend our taxes as well as they should. And rather than having a Green New Deal, what the government needs to do is release some restrictions on some of these states. And, and this is when I say government, I mean both state and federal. Re relax some of these regulations that allow for both consumers and for manufacturers to choose the better option. By and large, uh, renewable energy and renewable things uh, at the state and local level, they're, they're more affordable and also easier to market. I mean, there's a massive market right now for using uh, reusable bags and reusable this and reusable that. And, you know, electric cars, it almost is like today's Chrysler. If you have a Tesla, you're, you look successful. You know, yeah. that's, that's kind of the thing. But right now, as it stands, only 13 states allow for customers to choose a, a, an electricity supplier. Mostly, like if, you, if, if there was less regulation and less monopoly on how we get our energy in this country and allow the market to choose what is best. I guarantee you 
nine times out of 10, you're going to have a more renewable, more sustainable energy chosen. And a lot of people criticize that as saying that it's not going to move the needle fast enough. Well, maybe, but either we move the needle slowly in a way that's beneficial, or we sit here while the needle is stagnant and we argue about it for the next 10 years. So like choose one of those because moving the needle fast, you know, 10 ticks to the to the the way we want to isn't politically effective it's not, it's not going to happen it's not realistic and unfortunate as unfortunate as that is it's difficult to you know push forward especially when we have such a partisan uh gridlock congress right now uh and no matter who we get in the oval office whether it be trump or, or biden in 2020 neither of them are concerned with with passing significant legislation that's going to make the people on the most progressive or the most right uh, content. Oh, the one candidate, and again, we had like what thirty candidates. I'm being, you know, exagger- I'm exaggerating that on the Democratic side <laughs> this time around. But like the one candidate that I really enjoyed was Jay Inslee because he was the one that made climate change a center point. Now, obviously, Alan, you know me, I'm not a one, one issue, you know, person. I can see the bigger scope of things, but obviously, in terms of most cataclysmic thing that's probably going to happen in our lifetime, that probably is going to be number one. Uh, you know, the first box check. And then like he dropped out and then everything just went to hell and now we have Biden and we've granted you have talked about this and we all, you know, somewhat agree that uh, we're, we're back to the square one. We really we didn't get anywhere. And a global pandemic happened. Uh, people's lives are lost. Things that are, you know, are very, very important that we should address, you know, are taking precedence and we should. Um, but, you know, come 2016 election, I mean, will climate change even be an issue? Like, is it just going to be about, you know, you know, who sniffs who and who grabs what? Like, I mean, that in itself is extremely fucked up. But like, now we're not even talking about, you know, inherent policy. Well, yeah, and it's it's weird because as dire as climate change might be, is it dire enough for us to focus on it solely? I wouldn't argue that. I'm not saying focus on it solely, but it needs to be like actually addressed. It can't just be a a thing you tweet out, you know, during the second debate to click, hey, we talked about it. Okay, so addressed, I understand that. I'm with you. I think I think climate change, of course, is real. I, th- I think there's no debate there. People who don't think it's real, they're, I'm sorry, they're crazy. And if you disagree, you want to come on the podcast and prove me wrong, come on. But I promise you that there are... There are things we can be doing better, and there are things that we have done that have impacted the ecosystem and the environment of this, of this world. That is, I mean... But here, I'm going to throw this at you because I'm curious to know what you think because I, this is an uphill battle for my brain as well. Mm-hmm. Let's say the United States has the most monumental, amazing legislation. Let's let's say all of us come together, have a kumbaya moment, and we agree to pass something like the new, the Green New Deal or, or whatever. And we are 80% or 90% or maybe even 100% uh, on renewable energy in the next 20 years. You know, we'll all high five each other. Great job. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you do about China, India, Russia, uh, all the places that have these massive, you know, people literally live on top of each other and have a larger carbon carbon footprint than the United States combined? Do we what, what do we do? Does the United States have to go in there and tell them how to do it? Because they, we can't do that. So we're going to lead by example. That's great. But China and Russia aren't our, our friends right now. They aren't anybody's friends. And India is kind of a mess. They're, for lack of better terms, a second world country that has other issues to focus on. Mm. What do we do with that? 
Well, I think I think in terms of carbon emissions, from what I've gathered, I think the U.S. is like second next to China, and that or that might be consumption or a mixture of two. So there's that, and then that's not it's not going to gain the fact that India and Russia will probably surpass us at some point. Um, it does seem that countries that aren't as economically powerful, I guess, for lack of better words, I, I'm treading on well, water here. I don't want to say the wrong thing. Here, um, here, before you, before you continue, I, I just looked it up because I was curious. Sure. Uh, this is. Looks like it's 2017 rankings by capita, or per capita. Okay. Uh, Saudi Arabia is number one. Mm. Uh, Australia is number two. Canada is number three, and the U.S. is a close fourth. Mm. Okay, interesting. So, I mean, uh, I'm sure Canada would be on board with what we do because they usually yeah. follow suit. But they're too okay. polite not to do it. Yeah, <laughs> they would just apologize. They just apologize. I mean, how do you change Saudi? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I guess the answer I'm going to give you is crappy because it doesn't really solve the issue. Um, but I mean, I, I mean, as a person, I always, t- you know, if I, my boss yells at me because I did something wrong, I can't say, and I know it in my own gut and my own heart, I can't be like, well, well, Justin did it wrong. So, I mean, I'm I'm the one at fault. You know, he, he did just as wrong because it doesn't, that doesn't change the fact that I also fucked up, you know? I can't measure my life on somebody else, but that, so I would say do the right thing. And that, that's a, that's a shitty argument. Like, how do you go to policy and be like, do the right thing, guys, the end, pass this bill. I don't, I don't know how you, I don't know how you would change Russia or China. I mean, China does put some steps in place, uh, in terms of electric vehicles to have more people purchase those things. Um, that's the extent of really my knowledge on what they're doing in terms of that. But like, I don't know how you change Russia. I mean, no one can change Russia. No one can change Saudi Arabia. I mean, we give money to Saudi Arabia for a lot of dumb stuff, you know, and that's a totally different topic. So I don't know. Yeah, it, bo- uh, it just bothered me too, though. Yeah, that that's a that's a that's a whole other podcast. Saudi Arabia and our, for whatever reason, our well, I know why oil is is why, and, and maybe that 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 see, that that's where I think that this this problem roots from i don't think the problem is going to be solved by our government the united states government or state governments imposing either taxes or um like a like a a carbon tax or forcing there to be better you know telling everyone that you have to use a a, a, an electric car or uh restricting everyone to only fly certain certain days of the year or whatever the hell that we, we want to, you know, the slippery slope argument can keep going. If you set a precedent, the government can put a restriction on your liberty to choose what you want to drive and where you want to drive and how you want to consume things. That's a slippery slope. I don't, I don't like that. I think the bigger issue is our government, the same government that we think that, that, that you, that you say you want to give the power to facilitate these things mm-hmm. is using our tax dollars to fund countries like Saudi Arabia because of big oil, because of, of, of the energy consumption that we have in the United States. So if the government were to use our tax dollars more effectively, stop funding uh, countries that have a horrible human rights record, like Saudi Arabia, yeah. and maybe get out of these, these regime change wars that, that are, have been over oil. And uh, maybe, maybe we need to look at nuclear energy again. I, I know that's been a, a hot button issue, and I'm curious to know your thoughts on nuclear energy in a second. but. You know, I think we keep tackling, like, we keep trying to give government more power here stateside, forgetting that there's more to this. There's more, there are more roots of the problem. If we cut off our, our, our 
our dependency on oil abroad. And I'm not saying we should then, you know, go drill 100% in Alaska and Montana and the Dakotas, but maybe even if we did, that that the the economic implications for getting ourselves off of foreign oil and relying on domestic oil alone, that might speed up our process in going to more clean, effective uses of energy because oil isn't coming from a crazy dictator overseas. I don't know. There, I mean, I think there's a lot at play, but I, I question your trust in the government being able to do this when agencies like the EPA have a lot, I mean, a lot of bloat, a lot of bureaucratic mess that, that they don't need to have 100% funded. A lot of the salaries that they pay to these these career bureaucrats that aren't even elected positions who are writing laws and, and infringing on property rights. They, they, you know, their salaries could be going towards actual, you know, things that could help the environment rather than just have an office that says something to another office that says something to another office that says something to another office, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to defund environmental protections, but I want, I, I want uh, there to be a, a more efficient way of spending the money. We, we could sure. we could we could strip half of their budget and have them spend more efficiently because again and this is how I I, I talk about the Department of Education, which you know is near and dear to me our education in this country, but or even the military it's not about how much you spend it's about how you spend it, and I think the EPA is a, a great example of the, the of the government taking our tax dollars in a non transparent way and spending it frivolous, frivolously, I can't say that word. <laughs> Well, you've had, you're drinking old granddads. I mean, that's, you shouldn't that, be able to say that word at this point. I, frivolously. That's frivolously. The, the whiskey can't make me can't. I can't say those words. Um, you know what I mean? They they spend it uh, willy nilly. That's a better way to say it. Um, and we you know we just kind of say oh well, and we never see how that get money gets spent. And I don't know. I I think there are, there are better ways to do this. Uh, so I guess just touch on what do you think about. You know the EPA. How do you, why do you trust the government? Why do you think that's that's a good uh, reason? And also, nuclear energy is that the future? Can we do it safely? Yeah, I'm gonna hit on all those points. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna roll call you right there. It's gonna uh, throw it at you. First off, drilling for oil in uh, North Dakota? No, <laughs> <laughs> definitely no. I wasn't I wasn't saying I wasn't advocating for that. I was just saying as a yeah. A I, I don't th- I don't think that it's gonna adhere dependency. I think it's just gonna put money in pockets of people who do asshole things. <laughs> uh, just, just more domestically, uh, which is awesome, I guess. You know, I, I'm not for that. Um, EPA, I don't mind things being run more efficiently. I don't necessarily. I mean, government is just an extension of us, right? We are the people who put them in there. When, when I get the chance, where it's like, well, the government's bad. It's like you elected these assholes, or you put people in place to hire these people in there. That's my issue. So, hold on, maybe? hold on, hold okay. on. Okay. Hold on, because I know you want you have a lot more to say, but I'm going to push back. Sure. On. Okay. Yes, we have a we have a democratic republic, uh, our, uh, a representative democracy, right? We're not we're not a hundred percent democracy. We we have elected officials who then who then pass bills and, and represent us in Congress. Um, I would argue that even though we quote unquote elect these officials and put them in power, uh, we. <laughs> We oftentimes don't really have a say in how things are done, especially when a politician hires a, a, a career bureaucrat who stays in that office like the EPA or the Department of Education or uh, the FDA or the Health and Human Services. Uh, they aren't appointed. They are 
just hired and they stay there. Appointees would cycle out with every election. And that doesn't happen. That's unconstitutional. The, the appointments clause is very clear in the Constitution. You have to, every legislative or guideline or regulation created must be written and signed by or created by either an elected official or uh, uh, an official that was appointed by an elected official, therefore uh, held accountable by the democratic process in this country. So when you have politicians who years ago, appointed someone who then hired someone and hi- and they hired people and now you have this massive hierarchy of 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 career bureaucrats that have never faced public office most of us don't even know their names you can't even search them on government websites because you'll never know and yes. they're the ones who are advising and and creating and writing these guidelines and these laws and the regulations and you think that us voting in and out uh, a politician whether they be Republican or Democrat is going to solve that the, the problem is that it's so ingrained in the system that the power of the EPA, the power of the FDA, the power of the Department of Education is so much larger than what our elections can do to our officials. The entire system is broken, and we have to figure out a way to get the right politicians in there to break up those, those large um, agencies that have too much power that was never, never supposed to be there in the first place. Okay, interesting. I, I, yeah, I, I, that was as an aspect that I guess I didn't think out too much about. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to mull that over and, and change my opinion. We're, we're reconvening about this at some other point, and it'll be like, yeah, Alan, you hit the nail on the head. Or, <laughs> Alan, you're full of shit. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what, what the time tells. Um, it's usually a mix of both when it comes it's to It's usually the mix of both, let's be honest. And depending <laughs> on how much you're drinking, it, it could be both at the same time. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not opposed to shrinking things down if they're more. If things are run more efficiently, I guess my worry, and this I know is a slippery slope fallacy, so I'm throwing it out there that I understand what it is, is that anytime change comes to one of these administrations, uh, we use we use EPA since that we're talking about, it's usually not like a systematic look at it and see what we can do better. It's like under the Trump administration, it's just like a gut intact, you know, a, a complete gutting. You put Spirit in there, who's never had anything to do with environment issues besides be the attorney general of Oklahoma. The guy's obviously a co-lobbyist. I mean, you can look, you can Wikipedia him or look at any article and it's just like offense after offense after offense of corruption. And then you have Wheeler who, I mean, really probably isn't as bad as Purit, but like also was put in a position that he doesn't like, who he actively wants to like tone down and, and, and acts those things. So it's like, how, how do we find that? I wouldn't even use the word balance. Just well, okay. Here, here I, I hear what you're saying. I, I understand that that you know unqualified people get appointed to positions all the time. That mm-hmm. that that is not unique to Donald Trump. Donald yeah. Trump is not the first president to appoint someone who d- does not deserve to be where they are. No, and I didn't. I didn't mean it that way. No, but, yeah. I, I wasn't saying you were. I, but I, I think obviously we're in a unique time because Trump is very bombastic, and it it it, it almost seems even more so egregious when the president himself has no idea what's going on yeah and i think and it's not know, just the epa that you know people are put in charge of they have no idea what the fuck they're doing i mean rex tillerson i mean yeah oh yeah De- know, uh, betsy so De- many examples betsy devos she has yeah. no i mean she might have been she might be a champion for school choice which i 
I'm more or less in favor of, but that doesn't matter if you have no idea how the classroom works in public or private schools. You can't make yeah. good decisions if, unless, unless, unless you are you surrounding yourself and you're being a good leader and, and, and admitting your shortcomings. And that That's is not, not something that the Trump administration <laughs> no, grades, it, gets an A plus on by any well, means. I would say anybody in federal office, uh, except for maybe a couple of freshman senators or, or, or you know, people who are a little bit more wide-eyed before they get into the, you know, the full corruption of power, anyone at that power level who, who's making that money and you know, charging these speaking fees and writing their books and all this crap, they, they, I think they are not, 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 not one single one of them is able, able. I was going to say capable of having humility when it comes to some of these things they think that what they're doing is right because they're the ones who were elected and it's the, you know their choice to to vote in or put in whoever they want i think that's part of the problem i mean a lot of people who are on the judiciary committee or the people who are on the environmental committee or whatever or the joint uh the joint services committee for uh, military intelligence and all that stuff that they, it, my god why are you why are you the one why are you interviewing a general if you've never even been underneath a general to understand how war or military logistics work hey i watched private ryan saving yes, private ryan you watched saving I, private I, ryan yeah I, i've watched letters of iwo jima i i've seen all the historical facts i know a ton about that shut up <laughs> yeah, i know i know you're being funny but no yeah, sure. <laughs> but I know, I know. but that that is kind of the mentality that you know a lot of these old senators have in their in their late 80s so I, I hear what you're saying, but I, I, I still struggle to understand, you know, the EPA, the, when we say, you know, cut, cut and gut and slash the, the EPA's um, funding, it gets a very emotional response from a lot of people who are interested in environmental protections. Obviously, the, the EPA stands for Environmental Protection Agency. So when you say that you're cutting the, the, the budget of the Environmental Protection Agency, Everyone who thinks that they need to exist because they think that it does good work, their heads spin a thousand miles a minute, and you 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 kind of have this emotional response like, "Oh my God, Donald Trump hates the environment." And okay, disclaimer alert: I don't like Donald Trump unless you, you haven't figured that out yet. But I, 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 we both agree on that. But we have to we have to admit that there is more nuance to when we cut a budget. It doesn't the, the EPA has done a lot of things that are not good in terms of how to protect the environment a lot of times they like the e, the esa which is the uh endangered species act uh i think it was passed in 73 or 74 uh under carter would that be carter or early nixon <clears throat> uh i'm guessing I carter but we can, <laughs> One of the two. We can fact check those guys yeah i could yeah. google it right now because i have a computer in front of me but i don't want to uh <laughs> it's, one of, it's one of the two, two of those guys but um, it doesn't matter who passed it. The point is that the ESA was was uh, the the intent was to have a protection of endangered species and to make sure that people weren't overhunting or overusing land of those ecosystems. Um, well, since nineteen seventies, since the nineteen seventies, endangered species have changed, and you know this. Endangered species have been listed and delisted and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, the the laws and and the regulations that are written. By the, the by the ESA or the EPA using the ESA as their 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 doctrine, they're very gray and vague. So, <clears throat> what determines uh, a species endangerment? Um, that 
that's a question probably for researchers and scientists and the Department of Natural Resources and, and you know, different I'm sure there's a lot of community activists and whatnot who are doing a lot of social science research when it comes mm-hmm. to ecosystems and, 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 and natural science research. Yeah. So there are a lot of scientists out there who are, you know, very pro environment that, I mean, I don't think there's anybody out there who's anti environment. I don't, I don't think there's, I would hope not. It would no, be counterintuitive to our own existence if they were. Yeah. There's a very small minority of people who are probably throwing out, you know, their trash out the window because they want to, rather than, you know, they screw the environment. That's not happening at the rate that people might emotionally think it is. But if, if, if the EPA and the e, using the ESA and, and all this other stuff, if they're not, if they're not agreeing with scientists that come out and say, you know, maybe we should relook at how we write these laws because they're not really doing much good. They're just, all they're doing is infringing on people's property rights. If you have a, a home in, let's say, South Lake Tahoe, and you want to build a fence, and your perimeter, uh, the perimeter of your property is like, uh, let's say it's two acres. So it's, it's a two-acre property. The perimeter you want to set a fence around, and you build that fence. And then you, an auditor comes in because you're selling your house, and they do a survey of your land, and it shows that, oh, well, uh, this area is part of the ecosystem that in which this frog that is part of the Endangered Species Act is living on, even though by all scientific accounts, all research accounts, that frog has not lived there in how many years, or the frog has migrated further up, up either north or south or whatever, and there's more of them than ever before. But because the government is is so inefficient and ineffective at doing things, I mean, we know this because the, the stimulus check that came out with uh, for COVID-19, they sent to what, like 9,000 dead people? The government I think it was more than 9,000 dead people. I well, mean, okay. Was, so point- yeah, yeah. I mean, that's bolstering your point. Case in point, like the government is bad at doing its job. And if you're going to then sue that person, the government's going to fine uh, that, that person for having that fence because it, it infringes on the, the, the endangered species area, even though that endangered species is no longer either living there or even endangered. Well, okay, so now you're going to find that person and you're, you're spending more resources on this thing that might not need that, that attention. That's frustrating to me. That that I think there are, there's more. I my cutting of the EPA is is that stuff. I want there to be a more effective uh, and more uh, a prioritized addressing of of the climate issue and endangered species and ecosystems that need help. But I don't want it to be done by just unelected bureaucrats that are using our tax dollars like like they're fun coupons. You know. Sure, I would agree with you on that. I mean, I don't want. I don't want some guy that went to school for, you know, marketing PR. You know, it's necessarily telling, necessarily telling me, you know, how to how to run, um, you know, the, the EPA the ecosystem. I want an actual scientific basis. Um, so if it's if it's like you use the ESA Endangered Species Act, you know, that's something that as long as it's backed by, you know, you know, real scientist consensus, you know, things like that, I'm okay with reassessing those things. I don't, yeah. So there's the, in that sense, we don't disagree. Um, if it's like the current EPA, where you know they're not doing the inspections on business or things like that, I think like you know I read the other day, you know from 15, 2015, 2018, the number of actual inspections on on businesses that you know could adhere to the you know Clean Air Act dropped dramatically. Like those are things that I still want to be done because it's still backed in science, you know. Um, what. 
Yeah, but I think a lot of the, I agree, but I have a couple caveats because I don't want those those inspections to to grant access to the government to just come in and, and survey your 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 business or your property or your home because you know they because they want to invoke the EPA or they want to invoke the environment because that opens up an entire can of worms of uh, the Fourth Amendment. You know, you, uh, your right to privacy. You, you you own this. This is yours. Now, sure, you're going to be selling things to the to consumers. You're going to be doing different things with with <clears throat> with your business. Um, and maybe there should be different inspections and whatnot. But why can't why can't that be done in a way that isn't infringing on our individual liberty? I don't think there needs to be an entire list of government agents that go out and do things. If you have a new business, do some paperwork and file the paperwork and then send it in. And then great. If there is then an infringement or if there is then a proof that you are dropping sludge into the river, then the government can come in and, and, and or the local local city council or whatever the hell can come in and, and obviously blow the horn and sue you and take you to court. And then you face the charges if, if this is true. I don't want the government to you know start slapping labels and, and, and restrictions on things with their own hands. I want them to empower businesses and, and, and individuals to do the, the, the correct thing. And if they don't do the correct thing, then, you know, then they should go out of business and the community that they're in can look at the research done by maybe even the government. The government can do their own research and that doesn't take that much money. Uh, that takes less money than I think, you know, having these agents go in and actually power trip over, you know, certain things. And I mean, I, I could list off a bunch of examples. I don't want to go into all of it. You and I agree yeah. on on the point, the, the sentiment behind the EPA and the sentiment of, of, of making sure we're doing the best we can with, with the environment, of course. I think the bigger issue, though, is a lot of people uh, just get too emotional and, and fail to understand the nuance when, when someone says, you know, cut the EPA. But at the same time, I think people like me who say cut the EPA, it's also on us. The onus is on us to also explain that, you know, here is the the plan, the grand plan. Like, I'm not saying cut the EPA because I hate the environment. I'm saying, or I'm not, and I'm not saying, you know, delist certain wooded creatures on the ESA because I hate, you know, cute forest creatures. I'm saying, I'm saying let's, let's have a, a better look at this, a more nuanced take so we can do this more effectively. And sure. more that that's better for the environment. So I guess final final thought because I know we're we're running pretty pretty long on this one. Oh, you and and that, the and the sun behind you is uh, getting pretty yeah. Bright. I, just, I just noticed that it was not <laughs> a problem until just a moment ago. Uh, so sorry, I'm out of frame. No, you're fine. So EPA science good, uh, <laughs> but do you think that so if, if it's not the job of the EPA, do you think that it is responsible? And this is a, a question for you. Do you think it's that we need more community advocacy? That you, yes. We need people to get involved more with it, so the EPA doesn't have to do that. There, there yes, I, there are a lot of government restrictions, whether this be the the local, state, or federal level, that restrict. It basically is a turnoff for nonprofits or community advocates to, or social entrepreneurships to start up and help uh, solve this problem. It's such a pain in the ass in this country to start a small business whether it be a nonprofit or a for-profit comp- company. You have lots of young people who are innovative and strong-willed and, 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 and right-headed that want to help the environment and do amazing things. Great. But the regulations that are in place at the local, state, and federal level make it almost 
impossible for these people that have no capital to find their idea and flush it out and make it happen. If we had a bunch of community advocates doing amazing work, there'd be less burden on the government, less taxpayer dollars, and there would be more... I think there's a bigger stake in the community if you if you help your own, you know, you focus on your community at, at the local level. I think that'd be amazing. That that and that's not to say that the government has zero hand in the jar. I think there can be yeah. a facilitatory leadership role the government plays, especially if we elect the correct people. I'm just concerned with the the giving too much power to the federal government using the guise of well, it's for the environment's protection. You know, I don't trust them doing that when they, they, they have proven time and time again that they can't do more simple things. So I want I want more I want the floodgates to open on nonprofits. I want social entrepreneurs who are doing great things for the environment or want to do great things for the environment to be propped up and 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 being able to actually do their work. That's what I want. Sure. I'm okay with that. So we agree and podcast over. <laughs> Yeah, a lot, a lot, lot of nuances, a lot of discrepancies about how we would get there. But um, well, of course, all in all, we're gonna still have another glass of whiskey next time we see each other, and that's the most important part. Yeah, no, hey, uh, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of government, uh, government, and and, and uh, environmental implications of making whiskey at the rate that we do in this country. But uh, I, I will turn a blind eye because I, I love whiskey. I'm yeah. just kidding. I, I, I'm I'm open to looking up that research, and maybe we can talk about that someday. That might be interesting to that see. That might that. be an interesting topic. I'd be interesting to go deep, uh, dig deep into that. Cool. Well, all right, man. Well, thanks for coming on. I know we have a lot more to talk about on this. I know it's ever-changing. Um, it's an evergreen topic. Uh, it is an evergreen topic. Climate, climate change is a real issue, and I know that you and I, even though we have caveats and disagreements on how do we go about getting there and, and solving this issue, I, I know that we are in the right you know, on the right team. Um, I think we have to, we have to be open-minded and talk to people who we disagree with because we all have the same goal surviving, right? We want to be comfortable in this in, in the nation, in the world. We want to flourish. We don't want to just survive. We want to flourish. We want to flourish. We want, we want to have, have a, have a great time while we're living on this earth. And I think it's really important that we take care of it. So, um, I know we're on the same team on that. I, I know you and I are very interested in having conversations with people who disagree, having the dissent. That's the point of this podcast. I'm not 100% digging my heels in my position. I know I can be proven wrong or proven right. Either way, it doesn't matter. I want to have a talk about it. So, especially with a glass of whiskey. For sure. Thanks <laughs> so, for having I mean, me on, Alan. It's been a real pleasure. Of course. Cheers, and I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.